I want to ask you, if you will, take your Bibles, and I want you to find the book of 1 John. book of 1 John. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment, but let me kind of explain how I came to this text tonight. Um, some of you are reading the Bible with me this month repetitiously. That is, we're reading a single book multiple times, I'm asking you to actually to read the entire book in one sitting every day, Monday through Friday. And we've been doing that for most of the month of June. I've read, for example, the book of 1 John. I counted it up today. I've read the book of 1 John 18 times so far. And Lord willing, I'll, I'll read it again throughout this week, and I will have read 1 John 22 times, the entire book, 22 times, by the time I, uh, I get to uh, the end of this month. Um, and so some of you are doing that. You're reading 1 John, or you're reading James, or you're reading Philippians, or some other book that you may have chosen. And I hope that has been helpful. And one thing I want to say uh, before we get into the Bible study is, if you are reading through a book with us like that, repetitiously, one of the things that will help you um, kind of stay engaged, because after a while it's like, well, I've already read this, I already know this, and you know, you're reading it over and over. One of the things that will help you stay engaged is something that I tried this week, and because it helped me, I thought I'd pass it along to you. Uh, this week, I did read the book every day, Monday, Tuesday. I read it every book, uh, I mean every day. But here's another thing that I did. I summarized one chapter each day. I just wrote a summary statement in my notebook. So like on Monday, I read the entire book, but I, then I went back and I summarized chapter 1. On Tuesday, I read the entire book, but then I summarized chapter 2. And uh, that really helps me to kind of think through the chapter. And so I, what I did is I, I started out not with the summary statement, but I started out with uh, kind of summarizing sections of the, of the chapter. So I'd have two or three comments about each chapter, and then I'd kind of give that chapter a title. And I did that every day. I did that for chapter 1, did that for chapter 2, three, four, and five, and so it has helped me to not just stay engaged, but it has helped me to uh, really focus on and be able to picture, for example, in my mind now, I can picture what's in chapter one because I've broken it down into little pieces. I may share some of that with you on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm not positive about that yet. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want it to be boring to you, but if it's helpful, maybe I can share some of those kind of practical how-tos on Wednesday night. Now, so, so, why are we going to be studying 1 John? One of the reasons is because I've been reading it so much lately and kind of absorbing what is there. Uh, and I've been struck again and again and again as I've read 1 John. I've been struck at how he begins this book. I've been struck by what he talks about in the first chapter. Uh, so that's one reason we're going to be talking tonight about what we're going to be talking about. The, the second reason that uh, we're going to be talking about this is because we're living in a time where we are seeing religious leaders fall all the time. Uh, we're seeing religious leaders involved in sin, losing their ministry. And just today, this afternoon, I was scanning Twitter this afternoon and I read a statement about another pastor who disqualified himself for ministry, and just this week uh, was removed from his church. 
I don't know the details of that pastor. I don't know that pastor. I know of the pastor because of his kind of national platform. Uh, And I don't want to know the details of his situation. But I do know this. It has been disconcerting for me to see over and over and over that same pattern of Christians and leaders who have fallen into sin and have lost their ministry. And it's not always sexual sins. Many times it is. But it's not always sexual sins. There are many reasons people are being removed from ministry. In fact, the, the, the gentleman that I read about this afternoon, as far as I know from, from what little I, I read and kind of reading between the lines, his was probably not a sexual sin, but it was sin nonetheless to such a degree that he was removed from his church. So, with that in mind, because I have read 1 John and, and I see how he starts this chapter, and there's only, there's only 10 verses in chapter 1, and yet he immediately jumps in to, to a topic we're going to talk about tonight. And because I see it played out so often in national media, I want to talk to you tonight about dealing with sin in our lives. Dealing with sin in our lives. John begins his letter by making the case in verses 1 through 4, first of all, that Jesus is real. We're not going to teach this section, but I just want to read it to you. Here's how he begins this letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. So you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. John begins his letter simply by making the case, Jesus Christ is real. We've seen Him. We've touched him. We've talked to him. He's real. And, and there's a reason he's making that statement. I won't get in it because I'm not trying to teach the whole book of 1 John. But, but he makes the case that it, Jesus is real. And, and folks, let me say it to you this way. You can't have a real faith unless you have a real Savior. So John's making the case, we have a real Savior. Jesus is real. But then, John switches gears and he begins to make the case but so is sin. Verses 1 through 4, Jesus is real. And then he says in the rest of the chapter, but so is sin. Uh, let's read the text. Look how John deals with the reality of sin in the lives of believers. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and 
purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. John is dealing in the very first verses of chapter 1, the very first part of the gospel or, or the book of 1 John, he's dealing with the reality of sin in the lives of believers. And if you're going to have a sincere faith, ladies and gentlemen, it will require that you be sincere in, in addressing sin in your own life. If you're going to have a sincere faith, you're going to actually have to admit when you have a sin problem. Now, I've tried to indicate to you today, and I'll say it to you again, we all have a sin problem to some degree. Talk about Isaiah today, and, and your, your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. We all have a sin problem to some degree. In fact, why don't you just have a little fun right now? If you've got somebody near you, just turn to them and say, you've got a sin problem. Go ahead and tell them that. Some of you enjoyed that too much. <laughs> you know, sometimes we refer to ourselves, and I've done this, I bet you have too, and there's nothing wrong with this. Sometimes we have referred to ourselves as just sinners saved by grace. That's all I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I understand what we mean when we say that. And I support that statement. Listen, I've got nothing to offer God. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Would you agree with that? But, John is going to make the case that you may be a sinner saved by grace, but you should never accept sin in your life. You should never, ever, ever try to excuse sin in your life. Now, we're going to look at a few other scriptures besides 1 John. I want you to go to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 7. And it's just a very common statement made here. But I want to call your attention to what something Paul said to the church at Rome. To all in Rome... Romans chapter 1 verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be what? Don't miss those two simple statements. First of all, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. But secondly, remember, you're called to be a saint. That doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life, nor does it mean that you're going to live a sinless life. Uh, but, but you're called... To, to live in fellowship with God. You're called to live as a saint, as a child of God. And, and so, sometimes, we are saints who sin, but we should never accept that as normal. We should never accept that as, well, that's just the way I am. Yes, sometimes saints do sin. John's going to make that case in 1 John. Sometimes saints do sin, but we need to deal with sin in our lives. So, let's go back to 1 John. Apostle John is dealing extensively in this short book with the idea of sin and sin in our lives. And in fact, 
if you're to read, and some of you have read 1 John, you'd find that he not only deals with it in chapter 1, he deals with it in great detail also in chapter 2. But I want you to notice how he begins his discussion about sin. He begins not by talking about sin in your life. He begins his discussion about sin in verse 5 by describing who God is. And I want you to read that verse because I have read it and reread it and reread it, and I am fascinated by what this verse says. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is what, church? And watch this. By the way, there's three statements, and if you've read 1 John, you know this. John says in three different places throughout this book, in one statement he says, God is light. Later, he says, God is love. And then later, a third time, he says, God is life. That's a good summary of the book as well. God is light, God is love, and God is light, or, or, or life. But here in chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him, from the Lord, and declare to you, God is light. And this is the, the part that really has fascinated me. In him, there is no darkness at all. God's not partial light. He's not light and there's a little bit of a dark corner. God is light, and in Him, there is no darkness at all. And so if we are to be His children, we will not live perfect lives. In fact, that's the whole case for talking about sin in chapters 1 and 2. We will not live perfect lives, but nor should we get comfortable in the darkness. Because God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. So, let me help you to understand that in the Bible, this idea of light and darkness has always illustrated the contrast between good and evil. Between God and sin. You're in 1 John, put a a marker there, and go over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Verses 19 through 20, if you're taking notes. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Watch this. But men... Loved darkness instead of light. And why? According to the verse, why do men love darkness instead of light? Talk to me. Yeah. Because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The Bible refers to God as light because it is referring to the purity of God. The sinlessness of God. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. But what about in our lives? 
John's going to make the case in 1 John chapter 1. Now there's a couple of ways that we can try to deal with the sin in our lives. And again, it fascinates me that this is how he starts the book. That the early Christians even had struggles with sin like you and I do. That the the first believers were struggling with sin in their lives. This is how he starts the book. Dealing with sin. So, how are we supposed to deal with sin in our lives? There are two approaches we can take towards sin. If you want to take notes, you can write these down. Two different approaches we can take towards sin. John talks about both of them. First of all, number one, we can try to cover our sin. And John tells us how we do that. We try to cover our sins, first of all, by lying to others. Verse 6. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, with the one who is light, with God, if we claim we have fellowship with Him, the one who is light, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. In other words, we're trying to cover our sins by lying about our lifestyle. And by the way, did you notice the word we in verse 6? John is including himself here. This is something we all have the potential to do. And the word walk here is a metaphor for the way that you live your life. And he says there is the possibility of walking in darkness, which means living in sin. And that's why John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness or we're living in sin, he says we're, we're lying and we do not, do not live by the truth. Sometimes I have seen, and I bet you have too, I have seen Christian friends who think that they are spiritual and they think that they're walking with God and they want to make sure you think that too and so they've got all the right things to say. They know all the verbiage. They know how to make themselves look like everything's okay. But let me tell you a good rule of thumb. Can I give you just kind of a pastoral tip here? A good rule of thumb is this. If you have to lie about a relationship that you're in, or you have to lie about something that you're doing, or you lie about where you're going, it probably is a pretty good indication you are living in sin. If you have to lie about it, to yourself or to others, if you have to lie about something you're doing, that's probably a pretty good tip. You're living in sin. We can try to cover our sins by lying to others. Number two, we try to cover our sins by lying to ourselves. He says in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Once you start lying to others, it makes it easier to lie to yourself. And sometimes people lie to themselves by claiming that they are not sinning, that they don't have sin in their life. They're trying to convince themselves that everything is fine and they have a, a good relationship with the Lord. Again, can I give you one more pastoral tip? Just based on 35, 36 years of being a pastor, here's what I've learned. If someone says, God wants me to be happy, they're usually justifying what they know to be sin. And I have had them look me in the face. But pastor, God wants me to be happy. They're they're always saying that, trying to justify their sin. And they're lying to themselves. 
I mean, we can, think our, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that what we're doing is really not sin. What we're doing is different. What we're doing is kind of the exception. What we're doing is, is different from what others are doing. And we begin to believe the lie that we tell ourselves. And someone has said that there are three hardest words in the English language are, I have sinned. We try to cover up our sin by lying to others. We try to cover up our sins by lying to ourselves. But worst of all, we try to cover our sins by making God out to be a liar. This is where verse 10, it just, it gets pretty, pretty strong in his language. John says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. When we see or hear what God says in his word about a particular thing that in our lives, in our relationships, etc., a particular sin in our lives, and we just kind of choose to ignore it, and we declare that I haven't sinned, but God says you have. You say you haven't sinned. God says you have, as he tells you in the Word. You say, no, it's not sin. God says it is. One of you is lying, and it's not God. Does that make sense? Somebody's lying, and it's not God. Did you notice, by the way, in verses 6 and verse 8 and in verse 10, they all begin with the same three words. Tell me what those three words are, at least in in the NIV. What are the three words in verse 6, 8, and 10? Yeah, that's an interesting phrase. The passage is describing a believer who is living a dishonest life. He's referring to someone who is a phony, who has the language down, but he's not living the life. But I can tell you this, if you claim to be walking with God, but you're really not, you'll never be satisfied in what you're doing. Proverbs 28, verse 13, uh, just write it down. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sin will not prosper. He who tries to hide, he who who refuses to admit, he who covers and conceals his sin will not prosper. Now, so that's the first way that, that we deal with sin in our lives. We just try to cover it. We try to act like it's not there. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. We lie to God. And we just try to make sure it doesn't, as best we can, we've got it covered and so nobody knows and it's not there. And at least that's what we tell ourselves. Now, the second way that we deal with our sin is this. Of course, we can confess our sin. Verses 7 and 9, that's the case John makes. And again, I can't stress this enough. This is how he begins the book. Why would he begin the book that way? Because it is such a need in the lives of the people he was writing to and such a need in our lives. John says you can try to confess, you can try to cover your sins, but the best way to deal with your sin is to confess it. It makes an interesting and encouraging statement in verse 7. I want you to notice something in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And watch this. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from how much of our sin? Would you circle that word all if you mark your Bibles? That word all could also be translated every. 
I want to read it to you this way. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. Now, we understand what that word all means in most contexts. If, you're going, if you go to the doctor and he says, okay, we're going to do surgery, you've got cancer, and we need to cut it out. After the surgery, you're going to ask him, Doc, did you get all of it? We understand what that word all means in that context. If you go to Krispy Kreme Donuts tonight, and you get up tomorrow because you think, I'm going to eat a, another donut for, for breakfast, and you go tomorrow and the box is empty. You're going to go to your wife or your husband and say, did you eat all the donuts? Just planning an idea of what you might want to do after church, okay? <laughs> did you eat all the donuts? We understand the word all in that context. It means absolutely everyone. Now watch this. When it comes to a sin in our lives, Though we understand what that word all means, when it comes to talking about sin in our lives, too often we translate that word most. Suddenly the word all doesn't mean all. Suddenly the word all means some. Or all means most. Because when you were 21, you had an abortion, and you cannot believe that all means all. Or three or four years ago, you had an affair, and you cannot believe that all means all. Or last week, you did something you can't even talk about, and you cannot believe that all means all. Satan has convinced you that all means most. But Jesus did not die for most of your sins. Jesus died for every one of them. Now I'm not trying to make light of sin. John's not making the case we ought to take sin lightly. But listen to me, I want us to take God's grace seriously. You see, at the moment of your salvation, all your sins, every sin you've ever committed... Past, present, future. At the moment of salvation, every sin is forgiven. Well, then why do I even have to ask for forgiveness? To restore the fellowship with God. But let me, let me ask you this. This is a hard question, but you got it. You're smart people. At the cross, when Jesus died for the sins, he was dying for the sins of the world. Would you say that's amen? Is that an amen? All right, I got another one. This was even harder. When Jesus was dying on the cross, how many of your sins were in the future? Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. What did you say? Yeah. All of them. All of them. All of them. Don't let Satan translate that verse as most. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from most of our sins. Blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. And John would say to us, that's how you deal with sin. You don't try to cover it. But you confess it. Because His blood covers 
all our sin. Why would you want to cover what God has forgiven? Why would you not want to receive His grace and His forgiveness? Why would you want to stay tangled in that web of sin? David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know what? why David said that? Because he had gotten involved in sin. And he was dealing with the sin in his life. And he said, God, I need you to create in me a pure heart again. And I, I need you to renew this spirit within me. You see, confess is, is more than admitting your sin. Confess, watch this. Let's go to verse 9. I'll show you this. Um, if we confess our sins, He is... What's that next word? Faithful. If we confess... You have not been faithful to Him, but if you confess your sins, He will be faithful to you. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from... There's that word again. All unrighteousness all now to confess means simply to say the same thing about to confess sin means to say the same thing about it that God says about it make sure you get that confess confess does not mean that you get emotional though you might get emotional confession does not mean that you have this moving prayer that you pray though you might pray something be move have a very moving prayer uh, confession does not mean that you somehow impress God with what you have to say. To confess simply means to say the same thing about it that God says about it. Or somebody said it this way, to confess your sin simply means that you go to God and turn yourself in. I like that definition. You just go to God and turn yourself in. You know you're guilty. God knows you're guilty, and many times others know you're guilty, and when you confess, you go to God and turn yourself in. True confession means two things. Write these down if you're taking notes. It means naming your sin. Uh, too often we say, God, forgive me of all of my sins. And I, I, I'm thinking God's in heaven saying, wait, 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 back up, back up, back up. Which ones? All my sins. Well, yeah, sure, He'll forgive you of all of your sins. But why don't you take the time to tell Him specifically what sins you're talking about? Name your sins. Call it what God calls it. God, forgive me of envy. God, forgive me of lust. God, forgive me of lying. God, forgive me for stealing. God, for Whatever the sin is, you name it before God. Name your sin. Number two. Turn from your sin. Turn away from it. Turn away from it. There's two key words in verse 9 that need to be marked in your Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will, watch these two words, forgive us our sins and purify us. Those two phrases, John said, you need to make sure you understand this. He will forgive us and Purify us. I'm almost done, but I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 13 and 14. 
the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. And if that's true, he's saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, how much more, verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, watch this, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that, so that we may serve the living God. Satan wants you to believe you have no business serving God. And one of the reasons you turn yourself in and confess your sin is so that you'll be back in fellowship with the Lord and you can serve the Lord. So let me close by telling you three mistakes about confession that people often make and will be done. I'm going to go through this real quickly. Three confessions I've seen people make over the years. The first one is this. We feel so guilty that we confess the same sins over and over and over and over. Micah chapter 7. Can somebody find the Old Testament book of Micah? Chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 and read it for us. Micah chapter 7. Who's got it? Yeah, no, that's good. And, and we're, we'll hurl all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Let me ask you a question. If you, let, let's just pretend that you're teenagers. Now, for some of us, that's been a while, but let's just try to pretend, okay? Uh, let's pretend that you're a teenager. You don't have a car yet, and you borrow your dad's car. All right? And you go out, and as you're driving around, you you scratch the car and in kind of you you kind of freak out overreact you, not only did you scratch it you you know you hit the mailbox and scratched it then you turned it like this and you went into a ditch and wrecked it now how would your dad respond if of course when you get home you're going to confess that and you're going to ask him to forgive you how would your dad respond if you did it again the next day you confessed it and asked him to forgive you. And the next day you confessed it and asked him to forgive you. And three years from now you confess it and ask him to forgive you. And you over and over and over you're telling your dad, I'm sorry I wrecked your car. I'm sorry I wrecked your car. I'm sorry. How do you think your dad would do? What, what would he say? Now maybe your dad we don't need to know. but Eventually I think even a human father would say, we're done with this, right? He'd say it one way or another. It, I mean, he may word it differently, but eventually dad would say, okay, I forgive you, or we're done with this, or stop confessing it. If human fathers would do that, how about your heavenly father? And his son died for your sins, and he's saying, why, have you, why do you continue to confess what I have forgiven and what I have forgotten? So, one of the mistakes people make is just that continually, because of their guilt, that they continually, continually confess over and over and over. All right, uh, the second mistake that some people make is this. 
And I've heard this, and, and I don't have time to really deal with it very much, but I've heard this over and over and over. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I've confessed my sins, and I believe he's forgiven me. But if I, if I commit a sin, and that's un, unconfessed, before, and I die, I'm going to go to hell. You know, I, I, I kind of confessed everything, I got right with God, but if I, con, if I commit a sin, and then suddenly I die, with an unconfessed sin, I'm going to go to hell. You misunderstand salvation. God's already forgiven you of those sins. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. First John chapter, it says, He purifies us from all sin. That is a gross misunderstanding of what Jesus did on the cross. He purifies us of all sin. And then the last thing that I, that I would say to you is this. The third way that people misunderstand forgiveness and confession is some... Christians believe that the promise of God's forgiveness means that I can sin anytime I want to because I can always ask for forgiveness. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that we would live like that. I'm going to do this, I know it's wrong, but I can always ask God to forgive me later. You're trampling the grace of God. Listen, you, you are insincere in your relationship with God. You are walking in sin. Remember, let me just start where we were, or go back to where we started. In verse 5, he says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. You cannot justify intentionally living in sin and believe that God accepts that. So, I'll close with Proverbs 28.13 again. I quoted it earlier. It says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. The other half of the verse says, But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Finds mercy. Let's pray together. heads bowed, let me just say a word or two before we close. And that is no matter what you've done and listen to me, no matter what you've done you don't need to fear revealing your sins to God. He already knows them. He's waiting on you to admit them. So no matter what you've done you don't need to fear revealing your sins to God. Today, God offers you mercy. But it's not cheap mercy. It has to be genuine repentance. Genuine confession. But God offers you mercy. So I'm, I'm going to close with this question. There are two types of Christians. Those who are in fellowship with the God who is light. And those who are out of fellowship with God because they are walking in darkness. And which one are you? That's the question. Are you in fellowship with God or are you out of fellowship with God? God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word, for reminding us that You 
you are without sin. And though we will, on this side of heaven, never live a sin-free life, we certainly can live a life where sin is not dominant in our lives. And when we do fail, when we do disobey, when we do sin, remind us that you readily are ready to restore us if we are ready to confess and turn ourselves in. If we are willing to say what, we, what you say about our sin. And so Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless you.